Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. When Jesus said, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the Son nor the angels, what was he referring to? Was that his return, the rapture, the judgment, all of the above? Today we examine this in conjunction with Revelation 1 verse 1 and see that, as usual, taking Scripture with Scripture is the only way to get to the heart of a message. Here is Pastor Alex. All right, again, welcome everybody. We will be continuing our study in the book of Revelation. And as I mentioned, we covered one verse. Um, Just so you know, for for me, my, my personal goal I hope to get through Revelation this year. Granted, it took us four months to get to verse one, and then finally when we get to verse one, we did only one verse, right? We finally got to the book. It might seem a little questionable whether or not I can do it in a year, but I can assure you as we pick up, there will be some chunks of scripture where we we would be able to take a chunk at a time because it's a specific vision, and it has a considerable amount of uh, scripture verses so we can... I think, start to make some progress to get to the goal, to get to the truth. Where is history going? Um, what, what's going to happen? What's in store for the, you know, the world that we live in? And what does that mean for us? And where do we fall in all that? That's the goal of all this, is to make sense of what's going on in this dark, dark world until ultimately we go to be with our Savior. Amen. So as, as, I, as I considered the study today, uh, we left off in verse 1. If I picked up in verses 2 and 3, we probably would have got through only half the study. And in verse 4, it does introduce kind of a new thought. That's going to take a little bit more time. So it was going to kind of be a little, um, I didn't want to stop in the middle again of something. Uh, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to just, we'll, we'll go through verse 3. We'll finish that today. But what, I, what I'd like to do, um, given kind of the the time frame that we're operating under is I want to kind of do two mini, you know, two mini lessons today. Uh, The first mini lesson is titled Of That Day and Hour. Um, Now, a lot's been said in our study last week about Of That Day and Hour, but instead of me telling you what that means and doesn't mean, I want to show you a little more why it doesn't mean what maybe some of you may have been taught. And then uh, we're also going to look at, when we look at verses 2 and uh, 3, that little mini-study is going to be called, Blessed is He. So when the scripture says, Blessed is He, do you know what that means? How can you get the blessing? How can the blessing that's promised in scripture become a reality in your life? Because blessed is He, blessed is He, okay, but I still feel like, right, I, feel, I still feel down and out. You know, I still feel sorry for myself. Where is this blessing that is right before my face that we're, that we're reading and that we're hearing? So with that, we're going to look into really what's behind that. Uh, so that's going to be our game plan today. We're going to look at, you know, tighten up verse 1. and going to talk more about, you know, of that day and hour, what it means and what it doesn't mean and why. And then we're going to look at, for our, the, the second part of our study today, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3, and then we'll pick up in verse 4 next week. Does this sound good? So in our study last week, and this is you know, pretty much the summary of it, we, we really looked a lot at the phrase, which God gave him. And in that study, what I uh, mentioned to you is that 
when you read the scripture and it says which, which God gave him seems so kind of, you know, maybe irrelevant. But when we unpack that, it turned out that it was packed with biblical truth and treasures. And what we did was to help open up this text, we just inserted the persons of the Trinity. So this is what verse 1 says when we inserted the people of the Trinity. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave him, God the Son, to show his, Jesus' bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he, Jesus, sent and communicated it by his, Jesus' angel, to his, Jesus' bondservant, John. So that opened up the text quite a bit. And what, that, what we came away with was when it says which God gave him, more specifically, which God the Father gave God the Son. And here was the summary of verse 1 that we covered all of last week. God the Father gave Jesus the entire prophecy contained in this book. So the Father and Jesus are co-authors of Revelation. So if you were to say who wrote Revelation or who are the co-authors, you can say it starts at least with the Father and then the Son. The Father gave the details to Jesus. Jesus in turn sent his angel to deliver the prophecy to his bondservant John. And now the angel in turn is delivering the prophecy to John. And of course, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Revelation. Hence, the, the book of Revelation, all three persons are of the Trinity are involved. And what we learned was that after Jesus was glorified and exalted by his Father, Jesus now knows all of human history determined by his Father. And when we looked at Matthew 24, you know, I made the, the case and the argument with Scripture that Jesus didn't know all things at the time of the Olivet Discourse. He wasn't, he didn't die yet. He wasn't, he didn't rise from the dead yet. He wasn't glorified yet. He wasn't exalted yet by the Father. Uh, so we had to consider when Jesus made a statement, where was he in the process of his glory? But Jesus alone, as we'll find out, when we study the book of Revelation, Jesus alone was found worthy to open the scroll sealed with seven seals and now knows all things, the times and epochs determined by his Father. And when we touched on, uh, what I touched on in our study last week was the confusion about of that day and hour statement by our Lord in Matthew 24. And you know what's easy for me to tell you? When Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not the Son, not the angels, but the Father alone. It's easy for me to tell you, well, it's not really limited. He's not talking about a single day and a single hour. It's easy for me to say that. What I'd like to do for the remainder of verse 1 is instead of me telling you that, I'd like to take a moment to show you through Scripture how I arrived at that conclusion. So with that, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read Matthew 24. Uh, we're going to read most of it. And then I'm going to show you when Jesus says, but of that day and hour, he's not talking about a specific day, time, and date in human history. In fact, he is referring, um, we'll see that it's, it, it's much broader than a single day, a single hour, you know, a single time of the day at a certain part of the year. Although there are certain days um, times and epics determined by the Father, but when he made that statement, um, it was more broader. So I'm going to show you why it is not limited to a single day or a single hour. So let's turn our attention to Matthew 24. 
And as for many of us, we know this is the Olivet Discourse. Uh, so this was, you know, maybe a few days before, you know, Jesus was crucified. Um, this is towards the end of his life. Uh, and this was the, the Olivet Discourse. This is the great prophecy, end times prophecy, concerning his second coming um, that was given to his disciples. And we're going to read um, what was communicated there. So we'll read Matthew 24, and we'll read verses 1 through 31. Jesus came out from the temple, and as he was going away, when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, and he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. 
So in, in this passage, in verse 3, here's what's going on. The disciples came to Jesus privately and asked him, because Jesus said, you know, they were, they were pointing out the temple and how magnificent it was. And when the time came where they had some private, you know, privacy with Jesus, they said, they came to him privately and saying, Lord, when will these things happen? Because Jesus mentioned not one stone will be left upon another. And he goes, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So really, this is a loaded question by the disciples, but there's three parts to this question. Here's the part one. They asked them, when will these things happen? In context, it's the destruction of the temple. Matthew 24, interestingly enough, if you were to follow just where this falls in history, this is A.D. 30. You know when the temple was destroyed? 40 years later, A.D. 70. So Jesus was foretelling and prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem. But part one of the question is, when, is, when will these things happen? Part two, they asked, is what will be the sign? And that is Simeon in the Greek. Uh, Simeon, you know, sign, when you see sign in Scripture, it's what's the distinguishing mark. Um, or also, um, it is used to describe a miracle. You know, when Jesus performed miracles, that was a Simeon. That was a, a mark. Uh, distinguishing mark that he is not from this world. That was a sign. It was a sign, and it was a manifestation of his power and glory. But part two, uh, the part two of their question is, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And when you look at coming in Scripture, the parousia, it's literally your presence, your physical presence. You know, right now, I'm parousia. I'm right before you physically, bodily. That's what parousia means. Now, be careful when you say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean your presence physically. It could be, you know, judgment. Yes, but be careful if you're going to take that position. Just look at that Greek word. It is literally describing your physical presence. And in this case with Jesus, his physical presence would be his res him in his resurrected body, in his glorified body body. So when you see parousia, it's talking about his physical and bodily return. So they said, what's going to be the sign that you are coming physically and bodily on earth? And then there was the third part of the question. What will be the sign or signs of the end of the age? So from a disciple's standpoint, they know the Old Testament. They know that a kingdom was promised to the people of Israel. They know about the Davidic covenant. So they're saying, what's going to be the sign of the end of this age so that the new age, the, messi the messianic age, you on earth, when is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? So that's really the three parts of this question. It's very loaded. For starters, I want to say this. So when Jesus opens his mouth and begins his response, he's in 80-30. But his response sweeps until the gathering of the elect. And we're over 2,000, about 2,000 years removed. So when Jesus started to give his response, it already spanned at least 2,000 years. Remember, I'm going to show you through Scripture that when he says of that day and hour, no one knows, he was not referring to a single day or hour necessarily. So let's continue on. So when, he, when Jesus began his response. What's interesting is, first of all, he did not give them a particular sign, but rather he gave events signaling 
The end of the age is at hand. And here's what it was. He says, okay, so beginning from AD 30, and, and this goes all the way to the very end, pretty much, right? The end of the age. This is what he said. This is what's going to happen from AD 30 until the end of the age, whenever that is. It spanned that 2,000 years. Here's what's going to happen from the time he spoke to the time of the end of the age. Here's what's going to happen. He says, the temple will be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. And I mentioned that happened in AD 70. He says, many will come in God's name, God's anoma, the authority of God. People are going to come claiming to be Messiah. The people of Israel, here, and I'm going to see, I'm going to be very intentional here. Unless the scripture takes me out of the Holy Land and the land of Israel, I stay there. So when he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, who are you? And who is he talking to? His disciples. He's talking to his fellow Jews. He's saying, so the people of Israel will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And we know throughout their history, have they heard of wars and rumors of wars? And have they been conquered, you know, again, in AD 70? And are they not under war right now? Even here we are in, in you know, 2022 now. Jesus said, that's going to continue to happen from the time he spoke until the end of the age. But he goes, there's going to be threats of wars and rumors of wars concerning the land of Israel. Very specific. So when we say, oh, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, does that mean that there couldn't be a World War III? I'm not saying that that's out of the possibility. I'm sticking to the prophecy here. When he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and threat, um, he's saying that there's going to be threats of war and rumors of war concerning the people of Israel and the land of Israel, and it's going to culminate with nation, ethnos, ethnic groups rising against nation, ethnos, other ethnic groups, and kingdom against kingdom. And I want to suggest to you, at least more immediately, it would be the nations surrounding the land of Israel and the Mediterranean nations. More along there, more along the Middle East. You go up towards Greece or Turkey, and you go or, you know, towards Europe, and maybe even south of Africa and Egypt and Ethiopia. Those nations, more in particular, in the geographic location, are more um, implicated in this prophecy, but they're going to rise up against each other, and they're going to rise up against Israel, ultimately. And he says, in various places, Remember, this is what's going to happen when Jesus opened his mouth, that 80-30 is going to happen until the end of the age is there. He's saying there's going to be famines and earthquakes. And what's interesting, if you read Luke's account, he adds plagues. Plagues. Loimos. You know what loimos means? Pestilence. You know what pestilence means? Catch this. A widespread contagious disease. Hmm. <laughs> that made me go, hmm. What's interesting, when you read the story of Josephus and what happened when the people of Israel were ransacked at AD 70, it was devastating. But there was also pestilences and plagues. People died, if not by the slaughter of the Romans, there was also a disease, a contagious pestilence. But what Jesus is saying, and right now we're, it, this happens to be a global pandemic, and it definitely implicates the you know, land of Israel. Are they having a COVID problem right now? Yes, so they are, and so are the end of the world. But Jesus says, in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Have we not had famines and earthquakes? And have they not intensified even more so now? And he says, above all, He's saying, you know, all those things? So the famines, the earthquakes, 
the plagues, the loimos, you know, these contagious diseases, pestilences. He's saying those are merely birth pangs. Now, for those of us who've had children, the women here, birth pangs, birth, bearing, you know, giving birth is probably the most painful thing in life. <laughs> At least that's what I've witnessed. And I was so glad to be a man. Now, when it comes to birth, there's contractions. I remember, I forget which one of my kids, I have four of them. But I do remember when we were close, it was Aaliyah. We were close to, you know, she was due. And I remember she started to have contractions. So I would, you know, my wife would kind of have that little discomfort. I look at the clock and then I'll wait for the next time she goes, I go, oh, okay, that's five minutes apart. I said, you're still good. I think, I forgot what it was. I remember I got some guidance. Okay, if it, the contractions are this far apart, go to the hospital. You're ready to give birth. But the point is in contractions, you know, it first starts and it's kind of mild, but then as the birth comes and it's getting ready, the contractions intensify and it becomes closer and closer and closer and closer. And that's the analogy that Jesus used concerning his, his coming, but also the events that's going to happen in the world up to his coming. So the, the global pandemic, I know we want to wish, I hope that it's going to get better, but if it's not going to be a pandemic, it's going to be something else, and it's going to be more intensify and intensify. Could it be the pandemic? Yeah. Could it, but again, could it be something else? Absolutely, as far as calamities and things like that. But he's saying these are just merely birth pangs. Get ready. The Savior's coming, and the end is coming, is pretty much the message here. And there's more. He's like, wait, in this, from the time he opened his mouth, this 2,000 year plus, he goes on to say, um, oh, the disciples will experience tribulation. And lo and behold, in this very letter, in chapter 1, verse 9, John writes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So Jesus told his disciples, he's saying there will be tribulation. And they experience tribulation, but it doesn't end with the disciples. The people of Israel will experience tribulation and, and be killed. And of course, they, were, they certainly did in AD 70. And they'll continue to be hated by all nation ethnos because of Jesus' name, Anoma. Here's kind of a sad truth. And we study this in the book of Daniel. God has decided how long he's going to punish the people of Israel. And there will be an end to that punishment. But at the end or towards the end of the punishment, Israel will be all alone in terms of not having any allies. It's going to happen. Sadly, our nation, who has been a protector of Israel for much of our existence, and, or at least their existence since the 1948 when they were reborn as a nation, we are going in the other direction in terms of that. But in order for the people of Israel to continue to experience tribulation and be killed and be taken over. And we've covered that in many of our visions in Daniel. They will be destroyed. And the people of Israel will be slaughtered, sold into slavery, and exiled from the land again. But that's part of what Jesus is telling his disciples. And he's saying many in and surrounding the land of Israel will fall away. That's scandalizo. What that means is many in and around the land of Israel, they're going to be led to sin. 
And it was interesting, when you read the book of Revelation, there's the woman Jezebel who teaches, you know, the Jews to do what ought not what they to do, right? Adultery and things like that. Jesus said here, many will fall away. That's exactly what it means. Will be led to sin. They're going to be entrapped. And it also says, uh, it also means it's going to be caused, you know, scandalizo. It has the idea, it's going to be a stumbling block. And it often implicates the Old Testament. So here's what it means. He's saying, the Jews are going to stumble over the Old Testament. They're not going to uphold the Old Testament is the implication here. So there's going to be even this apostasy from the Old Testament concerning the people of Israel. And we've covered that in one of our first John study when we talked about the great apostasy. There's the apostasy of the church. And there's also, you know, by extension, you can say this apostasy. You know, the people of, of Israel and the Jews right now who don't embrace uh, Yeshua as Messiah at this point, they're already apostate, but they still, quote-unquote, uphold the Old Testament. But there's going to be a falling away of that, and they're going to compromise, right? And then you get some kind of imagery. If you were to go back to the golden calf um, kind of encounter uh, when Moses and Aaron, when he went up to the Temple Mount, kind of they were in revelry um, and in sin. And, you know, there, they, there was, that was a stumbling block. They didn't obey the Old Testament. So that's Jesus saying, many in and around the land of Israel will fall under that description. And he's saying, many in and around of Israel will betray and hate one another. And we even see that, some of that now, especially in some of the, the Muslim faiths. I know that there's some more peaceful Muslims, there's a little more extreme Muslims, and there's some in between. But it's, it's, it's not a, anything we, we haven't heard as far as you know, if there was a, a, let's say, Muslim family, and let's say they had a family member, a child, or a loved one not hold the faith, uh, what you hear is they'll have a funeral for you. You're considered dead. Um, but here, as far as the description of the end times, there's going to be that betrayal and hatred of one another. It's going to ultimately um, concern their, their beliefs and religion. So there, there's a lot here. In this discourse, Jesus said a lot before he made that statement is where I'm getting at. He said a lot. Let's continue on. He says, there's going to be many false messiahs, false prophets will arise and mislead, mis mislead many. Again, this is in and around the land of Israel. Now, we know that there are some false teachings out there. Let's say, for example, the Mormons, the, the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and in their belief or uh, in their belief, that Jesus, after he rose, he didn't go to heaven to the Father. He came here to the United States, something along those lines. Uh, so there's already been false Christ, kind of false prophets arising, misleading many. But at least when it comes to this prophecy, it is in and around the land of Israel. He goes on to say also the lawlessness is increased. That's plethino. He's saying lawlessness, it's going to reach its fullest measure um, another description of that time, most people's love, and this is agape, will grow cold. That's suko. And what's interesting, when you, when you study, when it says um, most people's love will grow cold, what does he mean grow cold? Agape, people's agape's love is going to grow cold. And the best kind of example or picture is, imagine a candle on a windy day. Have you ever tried to light a candle when it's windy? 
it's kind of useless, right? You know, you try to cover it, you know, cover the breeze so that you can light it. Imagine there's no cover and you're just trying to light a candle and there's a breeze. Well, that's how it's going to be when it comes to people's agape love. It's going to be nowhere, really, pretty much, to be found. And he goes on to say, the gospel shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Now, let me ask you a question when you've read this verse before. When it says the gospel shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony, who's in view here? Is it the church or is it someone else? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Jesus tells his disciples that after these things, okay, after all that that I just mentioned, you know, I, I just pretty much summarized what Jesus said. He's saying, okay, after all that, he goes, then the end is going to come. So in other words, those things need to happen first before the end. And that's quite a bit. Then after providing those events that signals the end of the age, Jesus calls his attention to a particular prophecy that's associated with the end of the age. And that is the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Okay, the, the abomination of desolation. And we've covered this in one of our introductory studies. Something is going to be erected in the temple in Jerusalem. No one can miss that when that happens. But once the abomination of desolation, you know, I'm sorry if I'm assuming you know what the abomination of desolation means. The abomination of what? And the desolation of what? The abomination of desolation. Abomination is another word to say blasphemous. But of desolation, what's in view here? The land of Israel. The abomination that causes the desolation of the land of Israel. So when that, when that abomination of desolation, when there was something erected at the, uh, in the temple, and then the, the land of Israel has been desolate. He's saying those in Judea, see, Judea, those who are in Judea. That's why I'm staying local here. Jesus stayed local. Those in who are in Judea, that's south of Jerusalem, he says, are, are to flee to the mountains. And if you're in the land of Israel and on the roof of your house, he's saying, when you get down the roof, don't go in to get your things, escape. And if you're on the field, okay, what about if we're here in the United States? What if we're in a building? What if we're at work? What if we're at the house? You're not on the field. Well, that doesn't apply to you, does it? He says, if you are on the field, do not get your cloak. And this would be, again, the field in the land of Israel. If you are pregnant or nursing in and around the land of Israel, at the time the land is becoming desolate, he's saying you're going to experience calamity. So woe to the women in the land of Israel who are pregnant or are nursing babies when their land is being destroyed. And he says, pray to your God that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. He says, for the sake of the elect, however, it says Jesus will cut those days short. Now, I want to ask you another question. Which elect? Is it all elect? Or is it certain ones? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. After, and then I abbreviated here, after the abomination of desolation, after the AOD is erected, 
Jesus says, there will continue to be false Christs, false prophets, this time performing signs and wonders. And Jesus says, when that happens, so when the land of Israel becomes desolate and destroyed and the people of Israel are destroyed and then there's false Christs and false messiahs in and around the land of Israel performing signs and wonders, Jesus says, do not believe them. Because many in and around the, uh, the land of Israel, they're going to be deceived, including some of the elect. Elect who? Not just elect Jews. But here, there's also a technicality. Is it elect to salvation or elect Jews? Because there's different types of election. There's their election as the people of, you know, as the people of Israel are God's people. They're elected, but not every single Jew is saved, and that's clear. But they're still elect. They're still the people of God. And then there's also the elect that results in salvation. So when it says many in and around the land of Israel will be deceived, including some elect, that kind of leads you in saying, well, it's more of the elect Jews who stumbled through unbelief and not hearing and repenting and receiving Messiah, you know, Jesus as their Messiah. So only after all, so after the AOD is erected in the temple and after the tribulation experienced by the people of Israel in those days, Jesus quotes Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, and he gave them a specific sign. Oh, finally, he gave a sign. But immediately after the tribulation of uh, of those days, he says the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then, and finally, and then the sign, they ask for a sign, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So in verse 30, Jesus finally gave his disciples a specific sign. He gave events signaling the end of the age. He pointed to Daniel's prophecy and the abomination of desolation as a specific event, but he finally gave a specific sign that the the end of the age is at hand. And that is the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. No one's going to miss that. And we're going to see where that falls in the book of Revelation. We're going to get to it pretty quickly. Pretty, pretty cool. We're going to see where that falls more specifically when we get to our study of the seven seals. But interesting, in verse 31, Jesus mentions that after the sign of the Son of Man in the sky, sometime after that, he says he's going to send his angels to gather his elect with a great trumpet. What's that mean? Guess where that's going to fall in our studies of the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. And then he gives the parable of the fig tree in verses 32 to 35. And then finally, after all of these events, then in verse 36, then he finally made it that, then he made the statement, then he said this, after all that, after a a panoramic of 2,000 years, then he says, but of that day and hour no one knows. What day and hour? That's 2,000 years. Which one is he talking about? Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
So right there, I'm showing you Matthew 24, 1 through 35, spanned at least 2,000 years. But he goes, but of that day, no one knows. So of that day and hour is referring to all of the things and events mentioned in 1 through 35 that we just covered. From the destruction of the temple to the gathering of the elect, the end of the age, but of that day and hour, no one knows. You're like, okay. So I'm just telling you from that right there, he's not talking about a specific day and hour of the year, a point in history. Although all those things, there isn't a point in time when all that will happen, but that's not what he's talking about here. That's not the main point of that statement. So I went through all that to demonstrate before you that I'm not speculating and guessing what Jesus meant by this statement. I just showed you through Scripture what this phrase meant. That phrase was not intended to communicate, and I mentioned this last time, he didn't say, but of that day, no one knows the day or the hour. He's not trying to communicate to you that he can come at any moment without a moment's notice. And that he can come at any time from 80-30 until the end of the age. He could come at any time, physically, bodily, his perusia. That's not what he meant. He wasn't talking about a, a secret coming. He wasn't talking about a secret rapture. What we're going to find is as we progress in our study, we're going to see when his coming falls according to his father's timetable. So this phrase was intended to communicate that the events describing leading to the end of the age and the timing of the Son of Man, it was determined by his father. Okay, can I say all that? I know it took me, it took me a little bit of time. Here's the shortest way to say this. Before, before Jesus broke the seven seals in this vision, before he was glorified and exalted, before he was found worthy, he did not know all of the times and epochs determined by his Father. And as we'll see when we study the book of Revelation, when the Father was sitting on the throne and he was holding the scroll with the seven seals and they were asking each other, who is worthy to take from him who sits on the throne, the Father, and to break the seals Who wrote in that seal? The Father. And he sealed it with seven seals. Who was found worthy to take it from his hand and to break it? John wept at first because no one was found worthy to break open the scroll with the seven seals. But the angel goes, ah, behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he appeared as a lamb, as though slain. And he was found worthy, and then he took the scroll from his father, and then all the living creatures, all the angelic hosts, the 24 elders, bowed before Jesus. And then Jesus broke the seals. Before that, the times and epics determined by his father, it wasn't his time yet to know his father's business. Do you see... When I'm telling you that of that day and hour, it can be so twisted. There can be a lot of lazy handling of that. And that introduces a lot of false teachings and false, you know, pretty much things that Jesus didn't intend to communicate. And people believe it because of the loose handling of Scripture. So with that, but of that day and hour, no one knows. I'm going to tell you right now, beginning with the Father, the Son, the angelic host, the four living creatures that surround the throne, the 24 elders, and then all of the angels 
in heaven, right now they know the day and hour. They know, they even said when you read the book of Revelation, there was an angel bound at the river, great river Euphrates for that specific day and hour to do what they're supposed to do. The angels know because there was one found to be worthy. And now all of the angels, because the Father exalted the Son, now all of the angels are in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus knows everything. His servants, his uh, angelic servants, know everything. So even though he says no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels, not then, they do now. The Son, not then, the Son knows now. Before it was just the Father, and now the Father and the Son and the angelic hosts know. So does that hopefully clear things up? So it's easy for me to say, he doesn't mean that. Well, I'm showing you through Scripture that that's, in fact, the case. Thank you for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the very first verse of Revelation. And even from the start, this book of prophecy begins to challenge preconceived notions and teachings that we may have heard over the years. But as always, if we allow God's Word to interpret itself and the Holy Spirit to guide us into all understanding, the true meaning of the text really starts to come to life. If you haven't already, please be sure to mark us as a favorite on Sermon Audio or subscribe to us as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us today at truthmatterschurch.org. And if the Lord has led you to support our ministry, you can give a small financial gift at truthmatterschurch.org slash give. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.